There are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul. Welcome, welcome, warm welcome to all of our radio family and thank you for joining us this Erev Shabbos. Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Tetzaveh Tov Shin Pei Gimel, which is also Pasha Zohar. This is the ultimate Shabbos before the Chag HaPurim and we're all in a high state of preparation and mounting excitement for this great day of the Yontif of HaPurim and, and the costumes are coming out and the Hamantashina are getting baked and the Sudas are being prepared and the wine is being brewed. We are in a high, high state of anticipation for for this day. And we're going to be talking about Purim in the future segments, but this, since it's Pasha's Tetzavah, let's say a quick idea on the Pasha. So in this week's Pasha, we're talking about the manufacture of the clothing that the Kohen Gadol would wear to serve in Hashem. And the main piece of clothing he wore was the Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate that he wore on his chest that had said amazing, amazing abilities and, and powers. And of course, like all the garments, if he wasn't wearing it, he would not be the Kohen Gadol, he could not sit. And it says that, that you must place in this Cheshen, you must place the Urmim and Tumim, and they will be over Aaron's heart. Now the Urmim and Tumim was a, a piece of parchment with the full name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that was slipped between the folds of the Cheshen and gave it its tremendous prophetic powers. And when HaKadosh Baruch Hu revealed himself to Moshe Rabbeinu at the burning bush and instructed him to go to Mitzrayim and serve as the medium for redeeming the Jewish people, Moshe, as we know, did not respond with an outright no, Rather, he said, no, Send whom you are accustomed to send. Aaron Moshe was afraid that about, uh, about overshadowing Aaron, his older brother, we know, who had until now, and maybe for the very long, over 60 years, he had been the preeminent leader of the Jewish people. Moshe refused to dethrone him out of his own overwhelming sensitivity for his brother's feelings. It was only after HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe that Aaron was on his way to greet him and the Roach of when he sees you, he will rejoice in his heart. Then Moshe Beinu agreed. Not only did Aaron not sort of look askance at Moshe's appointment as leader, he actually rejoiced over the decision and his brother's good good fortune. As a result of Aaron's acquiescence, Chazal teach more in Shabbos that Aaron's rejoicing in his heart over Moshe's ascension to leadership earned him the merit of wearing the Chosha Mishpat over his heart. And it's a wonderful and inspiring relationship between these two brothers. Aaron and Moshe are, are praised for the extraordinary respect and sensitivity for one another. But perhaps that between the what the commentators say and, and what people sometimes o- overlook is one point. How did they achieve such an incredible, elevated meters? How did they get such incredible character traits? So obviously it was the home in which they were raised. The parents who raised them, who we have to consider, children don't grow up in a vacuum. Right, those who do, unfortunately, sadly reflect it. Perhaps greatness in Torah knowledge is derived from a Rebbe, which obviously the parents pay for. Midas Tevas are the direct result of the parents and the home in which one is raised. With a father like Amram and a mother like Yechever, is it any wonder that they raised 
Aaron Akoyin and Moshe Rabbeinu and Miriam Hanavia to be become what they actually become. That's the power of Chinuch of, of the home. And it's an incredible, incredible lesson to all of us as, as we set our sights on how we're going to raise our children and the kind of children we want to produce. This is one, 1.9, Chai FM. The program is soul to soul. We're coming back to talk about the holy Purim that's coming upon us. Please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Musha Schnurb, only on 101.9 Chai FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Parshas Tetzaveh, Tov Shin Pegimon, yes Rabbi Sai. this is Parshas Zohar, we are merely three days Away from Chagapurim Habo Leinu Bekorov and Metz Hashem, the excitement is building. I'm sure the the costumes are already getting made, and the uh, and the hamantashen are starting to sprout from all the ovens and all the other incredible things that happen on Purim are in their nascent, perhaps uh, mature stages already, and we are all excited and looking forward towards. So let's devote let's devote our program a little bit today. To some of the nyanim of, of, uh, of Purim Bez Hashem, we'll be able to learn something together and be able to strengthen our preparation and strengthen our understanding of this incredible Chag of, of, of Purim. So let's begin with uh, Regina Rav, Rav Yisrael Mirojin, who explained and sports in his Sefer on, on Purim, says, why was it specifically that Homan Harasha chose to carry out his dastardly decree against the Jews, why was it specifically in the month of Adar? He built poor, he made a whole lottery and, and was very, very happy when it happened in Kharish Adar. What was so special to him about this particular month that he wanted to use this as the opportunity to, to rid the world of the existence of the Jewish nation? So he brings down Vatam, the reason is, Shu'u B'chodesh Adar, the reason why he specifically wanted to choose this particular month, is, Ki yesh yud beis tzurifei havaya, ki neged yud beis We know that the name of Hashem, the four letter name of, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so it's possible to formulate it in in twelve different formations. So there's the four letters. So four 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 letters can be done in in uh, in twelve different combinations. And each one of those twelve combinations corresponds to one of the months of of the uh, of the year. And Chosochodesh Nisan. So then, there the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is straight. It's the Yud, and then the He, and after that the Vav, and then the second, the second He. In its correct, in its correct order. And that of course is the, the month of absolute revelation, the, the month of the revelation of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's greatest kindness, the month in which we were taken out and redeemed from, from its time. Now, after that, so in Nisan there's absolute clarity and the name is in order. After that, we have all different kinds of combinations of the name of Hashem in every single month. And each month that the, the, uh, the way it's, it's, uh, it's put together is in a situation where it becomes more and more distant from the the correct way. In other words, the more that uh, uh, the letters are taken out of place and there are fewer and fewer letters in the place where they actually should be, so that denotes a, a distance, so to speak, from the source of Makarish Baruch Hu, and denotes what we call Hesterponim, denotes what we call the the the, the seeming uh, a phenomena that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is hiding his face from from us. And when it comes to the 12th month of the year, to month of 
Adar, which is the very, very last of the different combinations of Hashem's name. So there, it's virtually all the letters of Hashem are sort of be jumbled. None of them really are in the right place where they should be. And that denotes the greatest sort of darkness, the greatest hiding of, of, of all. It's, it's the, the, what seems like almost a greater a distance from HaKadosh Baruch Hu than any other month of, of the year. And therefore, Haman made a mistake. And when he made his, uh, his lottery, and he did this in order that, obviously his whole intention, his whole motivation was to do evil to the Jewish nation, because of the fact. And he thought this was the month that would, that would work the most, because this was a, uh, Haman was no fool. Haman understood the different combinations of Hashem's name that make up each month. And he saw that Adar was the one in which the name was most discombobulated and most distant from the proper pronunciation of, of Hashem's name. And therefore, the month in which HaKadosh Baruch was the most hidden from, from all of us. And, and therefore, you saw that's the month to try to zap the Jews. However, he made one small mistake. And that is, we know we say, that uh, the end of an action is already uh, embedded in the original, in the original thought and plan of that action. And the connection, uh, 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 when you have things that are a circle, rather than a straight line. So when you have a circle, the two things that come uh, one after each other, rather than being the most distant from each other, are actually the closest to to each other. Right? In other words, let's say in the week, we have seven days. Shabbos, Shabbos Kodesh, is the last of the Mazalas. And Davka, because it's the last... It has the greatest revelation of Kedusha. Why? Because it's right closest to the first. The first is always the, 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 the plan. And the plan is so complete. The plan is so perfect. When you plan a project, when you plan to do something, in the planning stage, everything is absolutely 100% perfect. And the way it should be. Okay, situations arise, problems up, and you must often end up with a product, with a solution that may not be exactly according to the, to the, uh, to the plan. But when the solution is right next to where the plan is, that creates a tremendous closeness, uh, uh, between, between them. So therefore, Adar, rather than being the most distant from Nissan, Nissan being the clear uh, 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 ramification, the clear sort of uh, pronouncement of Hashem's name and therefore the clearest vision of Hashem so Haman thought well Adar being the last month would be the furthest, that's true if the, if you arrange sort of the months in a straight line, then it would be the furthest but our arrangement is always a circle, and in the circle number 12 and number 1 are right next to each other. So therefore, rather than being the most distant from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's actually the time of the greatest revelation and the greatest, and the greatest clarity. In other words, it says in the, in the Torah, it says that, this month of, of Nisan is the head of all the months. It's the first of the months of all the months of the year. Now, the the first month for the Jews is the month of Nisan. And therefore, the Zayar explains that there are these 12 different uh, 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 arrangements of the name of HaKadosh Baruch that, that uh, relate to the 12 months of the year. And in Nisan, so we said, that's the, the, the combination of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's name spelled exactly as it should be spelled. Right? And and what comes out from from that Pasuk, the Pasuk says, Yismachu Hashomayim V'sogel Oretz. The, the earth and the, and the, and the heavens both joy and rejoice. And that's again, the four letters are Yud and then the He and the Vav and the He. 
and he explains that when the the name Hakadosh is written out in the correct in the correct way, so then God's mercy has absolute dominance in in the world, and therefore in Chodesh Nisan the Shemayim and the Oretz are both rejoicing because there's going to be a huge uh, a, a manifestation of of mercy in in both the heaven and the earth, but. The more that we do, that we sort of distance ourselves from the original uh, spelling, so that Shefa gets less and less, and therefore Haman wanted to choose the very last month, which he, as far as he was concerned, was the furthest from the Shefa of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and he figured the Shefa is getting less and less, and that's the month to strike. And, and destroy the Jewish nation. We're going to come back and discuss this quite a bit more in the next segment. This is 101.9. Chai FM, the program is sold to soul. Please stay with us. There's lots, much more goodies coming. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, air of Shabbos Kedish, Pashas Titzaveh. This is Pasha Zohar. This is the last Shabbos before the incredible Chag of, of Purim as we prepare ourselves and our minds and our homes and our Slachwanas parcels for this great, great day of celebration of, of happiness. And we're talking today about why Haman specifically chose the month of Adar because he felt that the month of Adar is one in which there would be the least, least outpouring of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's presence, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's energy in the world, and that was then the best time to try to destroy the Jewish nation. However, what Haman did not know was the secret of Kaiso, that the end and the beginning are fused into one thing, and therefore, the day that is actually the most, most appropriate day in the whole week, in the whole week for Kaiser is of course Yerim Shabbos. Even though it's brought down by Yenis and Ibishitz in the Yaris Tavash that by the early uh, Egyptians, Shabbos was a day for them of a very, very bad mazel. They used to fast on, on Shabbos because the truth is uh, from their vantage point, it is so. Because it, for their, uh, their Shabbos, what's called Saturday, is the last day of the week. And therefore, it's as, uh, as, as distant as possible from the great outpouring that comes, that starts in the beginning of the week. And as the week goes along, it diminishes and diminishes. So by the time we get to day seven of the week, there's almost nothing left. And therefore, it's, it's a, it's an unfortunate day for them. But, by Kleiser, it's exactly the opposite. The closer we get to the end of the week, the, the, the Shefa grows and grows, right? Because that's as, as we, as we, as, because the closer we get back to the beginning in our circle, the greater the Kedusha is. And therefore, the end of the Shabbos, right? What's the holiest time of the week? The end of the Shabbos. At, at Shalshudas time, that is the time where there's the greatest, greatest Shefa. Why? Because we're right there back at Sunday. Sunday is the place where Akash Boko implanted the Shefa. And by Shabbos, we're getting right by there. And, and there's a tremendous amount of Kedusha at that moment. So it is too in the year. The last month, which is the month of Adar, which according to the Cheshpan of, of Haman, would have been the month in which there's the least influence from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. On the contrary, it's actually the opposite. It's the time of the greatest input from HaKadosh Baruch Hu because of its proximity to Chodesh Nisan. Because the end and the beginning are inexorably linked. And, and that's truth regarding also the future redemption. The time of Mashiach. On the one hand, our generation, Nebuch, our, our generation is so far from Kedusha. We're so far from Sinai. We're so far from the great Tanoim and, Am, and Amoroim who, who built our Torah. We're so far from the base of Mikdash. 
And we know that every generation, as we get further from Sinai, there's a concept called Eurida Sadoris. The generation go down and down in level. But on the other side, we find that it's specifically our door, these generations at the very end of time, where we are the one that are going to be zeiche to the tremendous influences, to the tremendous hashpois, because we are so close to the base of Mikdash Hashlishi. And therefore we're getting a Kedush already from, from there. And that's what we say. Those who daven Nusuch's Furad and say Keser on, on Musaf of, of Shabbos, <coughs> they say, Hengo alti Yeschem, behold I redeemed you, Achar is courageous. The end redemption will be like the first redemption. In other words, HaKadosh Bogos test us. It's true. I redeemed you, both the Mitzrayim and Bez Hashem, in the imminent future, right? It's, and it's the same thing. It's the Achris Koreshis. The redemption at the end will be just like the beginning. In both cases, you will merit to connect the end of time with the beginning of time. Because as we said, the end and the beginning are inexorably connected through that you'll come to the greatest level of HaKadosh Baruch Hu seemingly hiding himself, and that's what it's going to look like on one aspect, then is going to begin the great revelation of, of the light of, of miracles and, and wonders way beyond anything we could possibly manage, anything we could possibly imagine with the full Geula purity, and it should happen speedily in, in our times. Now, perhaps we can say something else. And give another explanation why specifically Haman wanted the Chaydish, the Chaydish Adar. Because the whole story, the main part of the Megillah, actually took place in Chaydish Nisan. As it says in the Megillah, Chaydish Arisha, you know, Chaydish Nisan, the first month, which was the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year, of the reign of Achashverosh. So that's when Haman Arasha did the lottery and decided, choosing all amongst all the months and all the days, to arrive at the decision to destroy us in Chodesh, in Chodesh Adar. And since, uh, as soon as he got then the consent of Achashverosh, and it was sealed with the signet ring of the king, so then straight away the Svarim was sent out, through all the uh, runners to all the kingdom, the kingdoms of the uh, uh, of, of the king, and with the order to destroy, wipe out, and eradicate all the Jews, child and elderly people, right, men and women, on one day on the thirteenth day of the of the twelfth month, which is Chodesh Adar Ushlolam Lavois, and they were to take away all the spoils and the booty. And what really is difficult is about this is why was Haman in such a hurry to send out all the orders, send out all the advertising, get it all done now for something that's going to happen in only 11th month's time. Anyone who knows, anyone who's ever tried to to organize a function or something. So if you're going to send out invitations more than about a month before the event, Everybody is going to forget about it. You're going to have to resend those invitations again in a more appropriate time. What's, what's the point of organizing and getting everyone all excited about the destruction of the Jews if it's only going to take place 12 months later? And on the contrary, why did it make sense to, to do that? It would give the Jews so much time to hide themselves to, to, uh, uh, run away, or, or, or and, and then they wouldn't have been able to, to fulfill their plan to destroy the Jews. It should have been a, a secret order given out just before, and that would have been the most effective thing. But, there is a, a well-known sentence that says that the trepidation, the fear of death, is worse than death itself. Haman didn't want just to kill the Jews. He knew 
that this was something that could never ever happen. He knew he could never completely and totally destroy the Jewish nation. Because it's absolutely impossible on a physical level to destroy all the Jews on one day. But Haman wanted something in addition also. He wanted to put the Jewish nation in a situation of constant fear, constant anxiety, constant sadness, right? And and for like to sit and stew in their juices for an entire year, contemplating about the day of their death. All their thoughts were going to be, oi, what's going to happen when they attack us? There's someone who wants to kill us. There's someone who wants to maim us and, and, and kill us. And, and Haman hoped to bring them into such a state of, 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 of years of absolute hopelessness. Right? And, and, and let them suffer. Let them anticipate the death for a whole year before it actually happens. And therefore, even if they would manage to somehow uh, uh, run away from the attack, still, they, they, they would be different people. They'd be broken people. They'd be people who, who are always looking over their shoulder to see who's chasing them. They would never be able to live a normal life again. That was Haman's, Haman's hope, Haman's aspiration. And, and in fact, that is the very, very essence of Amalek. That he went to battle in Klaisal. It says in, in the Megillah, it says, uh, it says in the, in the Shir Sayyam, it says, Shamu Amim Yirgazun. All the nations heard about Chris Yamsuf. And they were frightened. Chil Ochaz Yeshe A trepidation seized all those who live in Philistine. Oznivhalu Alufei Edom. Right? The, the kings of Edom were frightened. All the, the lords of Moab were seized by a panic. No All those living in Canaan melted away. Amalek knows that he's not able on any level to be victorious and to defeat the Jewish nation. But that wasn't his purpose. His entire purpose was to put the Jewish nation in a state of despair, in a state of, of absolute giving up hope, of sadness, break their, their hearts, and that's what, that's what Amalek does. And that's why, specifically, uh, already in Chodesh Adar, so there's a mitzvah to have tremendous, tremendous simcha. Because what, uh, oh, oh, and why is it dependent on, on me? Can I sort of, well, how can you command me to be in a state of simcha? Do I have control over simcha as an emotion? How can you command me to have any particular emotion? But the reality is that this month has a special skula that we can defeat Amalek in this month. Amalek wants to bring into the world fear wants to bring into the world anxiety, wants to bring into the world where a person doesn't know what's going to be tomorrow, and therefore to ruin his life. And therefore, the the outcome is, the antidote to Amalek is, is an increase of the level of, of, of Simcha. And and that was the, 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 uh, you know, the evil intentions of all those who want to try to attack the Jewish nation. Whatever kind of uh, 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 attack method they, they, uh, they, they use, they know that they have no ability at all to remove the Jewish nation from the world scene, even from their country. But their entire intention is to sow seeds of fear and panic in, in their hearts. But specifically now, in the month of Adar, here we can be merit to be victorious over all of that worry, all that nagging, annoying uh, misgivings. Right? Let's dafka increase our level of simcha. Let's increase our trust and reliance on our Kaddish Baruch Hu. And Hashem, in, in the very, very near future, we will merit to the destruction 
of Amalek and all of his nefarious uh, apartments. Rav Nachman from Breslov says that 40 days already before Purim, we have to start davening that Hashem should save us from, from the Klippas, from the externalities of Haman and, and Amalek, and we should merit to the Kedusha of Mordechai and, and Esther, because there's, there's a certainly a, a, a concept to be, to be saved from, from, uh, from, uh, uh, Amalek, and, and, and that is what's gonna bring the absolute joy of, of Purim, because what, what Amalek wants most is that we should be in a state of, of, of panic and worry and what's gonna be oil and there's no lights and there's no, and there's no water and, and inflation and, 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 and what's gonna be with me and we're all sort of broken. That is giving in to the, to the allowing ourselves to be swayed and controlled by Esau. We have to be above, above, uh, above that. <coughs> it's interesting. The, the Gemara, the Gemara brings <coughs> in, in Dafyu Beis that, uh, Achzeresh ordered King Vashti to come to the party, the Chesa Malchus, wearing only her, her crown, and, uh, she refused. And Gemara says, uh, this, uh, this Prutza that she was, this immoral woman that she was, why would she, why would it bother to appear, to appear naked? Uh, they both were very into doing immorality and, and avarice. So, says Rav Yosi Bachanina, Melamed, famous Gemara, which teaches us, Sheparcha Tzoras, that one version is that she suddenly got afflicted with Tzoras for some kind of leprous disease that she was embarrassed to come. And Bemasni Satani, in a bride, so we learned, what happened was, Bal Gavriel came, the Malach Gavriel, for Asalazonov, and made her this, this, uh, this tale. Right? So, what, what was it specifically? Why did Gabriel specifically grow her a tail? Why not a sixth nose or something, or something like that? And perhaps we can say as follows. The Gemara in Mesechus Megillah says that in the Suda of that Russia, Achashverosh, so, there was a discussion, a very intellectual discussion going on. One group of men said that the ladies from Modai were the most beautiful women. And others said, no, the Persian women were the most beautiful. And Achishverosh says to them, the vessel that I use, now with my wife, is neither a Median nor a Persian. She's a Castian. Do you want to see her? So I said to yes, we do. And on one condition, she has to come completely un- unclad. Right? Why? Because, uh, you know, Mida Kineged Mida. The way a person acts, that's the way we act to him. So he teach us that Vashti, this Russia that she was, used to bring uh, Jewish girls uh, to, to, to be her servants, and she would strip them naked and make them do work for her on Shabbos. And that's why it says, After these matters, When the anger of Achashverosh subsided, Vashti. He remembered Vashti and everything she had done and everything that had been, that had been decreed upon her. Right? In other words, In the same way, the same way as she acted, she made Jewish girls take off their clothes, so it was decreed upon her that she also had to appear <coughs> without clothes on. Now, Taisa Sarosh brings down to explain this Gemara. He says something amazing. He says, it doesn't mean that a uh, 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 Rashi uh, sorry, that, that Vashti used to make these girls uh, uh, un- undress. It doesn't mean it literally undressed them, but it was Shabbos. And the girls were dressed up in their Shabbos finest, and she made them take off their beautiful Shabbos clothes to serve her. So therefore, it was decreed that she could not come to the king in her beautiful big day malchus. The question was why? Why did she do this? Whatever it was, whether she stripped them all or took off their Shabbos clothes, what was the point of it? So the Gemara in Shabbos says, there's a mitzvah of covered Shabbos, v'chibadatay. You have to honor Shabbos and not act the way on, on Shabbos, the way you act on weekday. Your clothing on Shabbos should be different than your weekday uh, uh, clothing. Right? Rabbi Yechanan called his garments 
Mechabdai, those that give me honor. Right? And the Gemara says that uh, Rav Chia and Rav Asi were sitting in front of Rav Yochanan, and Rav Yochanan was falling asleep. So Rav Chia asked Rav Yossi, why does Tamida Chacham and Bavel, why are they, uh, uh, why are they, uh, wear they beautiful, beautiful clothing? So he answered, because since they're not such B'nai Torah. And Rashi explains that uh, 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 you can't really honor them uh, because of their Torah, because they weren't as great as they were in, in Eretz Yisrael, but therefore, because of their, uh, of their uh, dignified attire, they looked Choshev, therefore people used to honor them at least, at least for that. So Yochanan woke up and says, no, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't say it. What you're saying is not, is not, uh, is not correct. So they asked him, so what is it? Why are the people in Babel outstanding? In the, and why are they dressed so fancy? He said to them, because since they're out of place, they're not in their country, they wear distinctive, beautiful dress to remind themselves of who, of who they are. And Rashi says, these were all people who came from Eretz so and, and, and when they were sent into exile to a foreign land, so they want to sort of make themselves distinctive in their dress so that they should be, they should remind themselves how chashuv they, they are. Because when you're in a strange land, by nature, you're considered a second class citizen, you're not looked up to. When a person dresses himself up, he gives, it increases his own self, self dignity. So it says that the, that the garments force a person to behave in, in, in accordance with the kind of clothing he's wearing, right? A, a, a garment represents the difference between a human being and, and an animal. So therefore, the, 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 the garment requires a person to behave in a certain, in a certain way. And that's why we say, Malbisharumen. The, the, the garments show our, our honor. And therefore, since Vashti wanted that that the, the Jews should be treated like animals, and that's why she took off their clothes, took off their badges of honor, therefore she was punished that she grew a tail just like a, 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 an animal. This is 101.9 Chai FM. The program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in a moment with our Hilchel Shabbos segment. Please stay tuned. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh, Parshas Tetzaveh, Parshas Zochem. We are about three days away from the amazing Chag of Chag Apurim, and we're all preparing, we're getting ready for that monumental day of celebration, of happiness, of victory for the Klai Yisrael over all of their uh, enemies. And let's start, as we always do at this time, by giving you the important details you need to know for this Shabbos. So first of all, this afternoon, the earliest time to be able to light your Shabbos candles will be at 5.18. 5.18 this afternoon, which is merely sort of two and a half hours from now, you can already get your Shabbos candles on. It's doable. Shabbos is uh, getting earlier a bit, but uh, we still can get ready. We have the ability to contract to meet the available time and still start Shabbos as early as as possible. The latest time for lighting Shabbos candles this week is at 6.18. 6.18, about an hour after the earliest time. So you have really an hour between 5.18 to 6.18 to light your candles. You may not light after 6.18 unless it's an absolute uh, emergency. We have to consider that by 6.18, everything <coughs> needs to get done. Our homes need to be ready. Our environment needs to be completely Shabbostic and ready for the beautiful, beautiful Shabbos that is, that's our bold lane Latoyeva that's coming, that's coming to, to us. Many our communities will still accept for the last time the standard Johannesburg Shabbos acceptance time, which is quarter past six, although of course doesn't really make much of a difference, about three minutes 
of, uh, of, of difference and you are of course bound by those times to accept, to accept uh, a Shabbos. Shkia is at 6.36 and therefore if you want to be able to daven Mayrev and not have to repeat the Shema again, all you have to do is wait until 6.54. 6.54 is already night as far as we're concerned, and you can already say the Krishma at night and not have to repeat it again, and then sit down with your friends and family to a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos dinner, replete with the Reitera and, and Zemiras and good cheer and lots of conversation about the week, about things you saw, about preparing for, for Chag Apurim. There's so much to do, so much to talk about. Tomorrow, of course, we lane Pashas Tetzaveh. That's the regular reading for this week. This week is also the second of the four special Pashas that we read around this time of year. This week we lane Pashas Zohar, which according to most Poiskim, is a mitzvah da'iraisa, a biblical mitzvah, and therefore men, women, children need to be in shul. Shabbos morning, figure out what time your community is going to get to that part of davening after, after laning, and, and be there and, and hear it. If for, for whatever reason you are unable to get to shul, uh, uh, on Shabbos morning. So there are some communities that will read it later in the day, second reading maybe for women. Otherwise, you, if you come to shul on Purim morning, and before we read the Megillah in the morning, we'll also take out a Sefer Torah and Lane. So one can, if one hasn't heard Pasha Socha on Shabbos, make it up by hearing the actual account of the war against Amalek as, as is brought in Pasha's Peshalach, which we lay on Purim, on Purim morning. So it's quite essential that we be in shul for, for that. And of course, the Haftarah is the special Haftarah designated for Pasha Zachar, which tells us the story of Shaul, who was commanded by Hashem to destroy Agag, to destroy Amalek, our arch nemesis, and didn't quite do the job and therefore left a room open for the uh, sort of the family to carry on, which then led to the existence of a homon and the whole Purim, the whole Purim uh, uh, a story. Uh, Shabbos Kodesh then continues, uh, beautiful, beautiful Shabbos. We don't say Avarachim because it's one of the four special, special readings. And Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night at 7.07. Seven minutes past seven is the end of Shabbos, getting quickly, very, very, uh, very, very early. And of course, as we prepare, so Monday is going to be Tainus Esther, the fast of Esther, the way we fast to commemorate the fact that this was the day that the Jews went to war against all of their enemies and, and, uh, thank God was successful, killed 75,000 of the of the Amalekis and uh, generally when when Jews go to war it's not a question of uh, eating your Wheaties and showing how strong you are we completely and totally rely on Hashem and therefore most likely the Jews were fasting when they went to war therefore in commemoration of that we also fast on on Tainus Esther the time frame for the fast is it starts at 454 in the morning, six minutes before five o'clock. If you want to get up really early and have something to eat, you can, but just have in mind at night before you go to sleep that you still want to get up and eat before the fast begins. The fast ends then uh, virtually 14 hours later at 6.52 is the end of the fast. And of course, we're not going to be able to break our fast in right away because that is also then the beginning of of Purim and uh, the reading of the Megillah at at night. Let's just quickly go through some of the halachas. Of course, we know it all, but it's always good to be reminded and have it fresh in your mind before the holiday starts. So, of course, uh, we said Monday is the fast day, and uh, it's not quite as serious as the other fast days that commemorate the destruction of the of the temple. However, anyone who is healthy, anyone who is able, should de- definitely be part of the community 
and and fast that that day. We're more a little bit more lenient about ill people, about women who are pregnant or or nursing. But for the standard sort of uh, uh, person, it is a absolute obligation to to uh, to fast. And again, as I say, that fast, although the fast officially ends at six fifty two, usually carries on until after we read the the uh, the Megillah. Uh, just before that, there's a custom on on Tainus Esther afternoon when we come to shul for Mincha. So there's a special uh, uh, contribution we make called the Machatzes Hashekel. We commemorate the fact that uh, the Jews in the uh, in the desert and in, in, in Israel also used to contribute a certain amount of money, this half shekel, for the purchase of the uh, of the communal sacrifices and also in the desert initially for actually part of the construction of the uh, of, of the Mishkan. So obviously we don't have a, a Beit HaMikdash today, but in commemoration of that, we still uh, uh, contribute some money. It's usually three coins that are the half currency of that uh, currency. We don't have really a half rand here. So sometimes they'll bring in a, a half dollar or some other type of currency that you can then pick up, acquire and exchange it for some other rand uh, type of, uh, of of amount, and that usually is done uh, at mincha time on on tainus on tainus Esther. It is customary that because Purim is a yomtiv, we uh, put on Shabbos clothes when we come to shul for the Megillah on Purim night. Uh, those who are in uh, fancy dress. That's also okay, but if you're not going to be <coughs> dressing in your costume, then one should put on uh, a Shabbos, Shabbos clothes, because it is a, it is on some levels a kind of a, a, uh, a, a Yom Tov. Uh, the Megillah, of course, uh, has to be heard by everyone, uh, both by night and by, by day. Um, uh, the the somehow the day reading is considered even more obligatory, but everyone, man, woman, and child, have to hear the Megillah. Obviously, children are limited to the capacity where they can actually sit and and uh, pay attention and not <coughs> disturb. Although we give them the opportunity in in many communities to make noise for Haman's name, but that can't in any way. Uh, uh, disturb anyone from being able to hear every single word of the Megillah because it's obligatory that we hear every single word of the uh, of, of of the Megillah. So that is the obligation both by day and by night to uh, to listen. One should have actually a, a book, a text in front of you, so just in case one does miss a word or two, one can quickly read it in one's text and then uh, carry on listening uh, after. Uh, after after that. We're going to come back with some final words about some of the other mitzvahs of the day in a moment. This is 11.9. The program is Soul to Soul, and this is the greatest Jewish radio station in all of Africa. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos Kodesh. Pashas Tetzaveh, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel, also Pashas Zohar, as we get ready for an amazing Chag HaPurim. We're just going through a quick revision of some of the laws relevant to Purim. So in the day, besides the mitzvah of hearing the Megillah a second time, and again, I beg you, please put it into your schedule. Think about when and where you're going to hear the Megillah. There are many, many opportunities to hear the Megillah virtually every hour of the day, but don't put yourself in a situation where suddenly you wake up at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, oh, where can I hear a Megillah reading at this at this time? The three main mitzvahs of the day of Purim, number one is Mishloach Manot, to give at least one gift of food containing two different items, to a friend, to someone. The two items can be virtually anything. It has to be edible. They can be the same uh, uh, blessing. They can even be two types of the same food. But the whole purpose of it is to fulfill the, the friendship and create brotherly uh, uh, attachment and care for for others. Many do much more than the one parcel. 
give all their family and, and friends, and it's a, it's a great thing. But that brings us to the other mitzvah, and that is Matan Yonim, giving monetary gifts to people who really, really are needy and will not probably be able to celebrate a Purim without uh, our donations. And that is obligatory for every person to give two different gifts or an amount that can be divisible but into two different, uh, two different gifts that can be distributed on Purim Day to indigent people, people who need the money so that they too can go out and buy themselves the, the, the beautiful things that they'd want for their, for their Purim, uh, Purim Suda. So those two mitzvahs must be fulfilled during the day. Right, um, uh, you can, in terms of matanas avyonim, you can give it to whichever agency or, or or representative you want to give. You can give it before, and they will distribute it on Purim Day, which is also absolutely uh, fine. Or you can sort of give it out on on Purim Day your your yourself. Shlachmanis um, usually is delivered through the agency of someone else. You don't deliver it uh, yourself. And uh, again, it's a beautiful day of happiness. The final mitzvah of Purim Day is, of course, the festive meal, which should be eaten in the afternoon of of Purim, and this, you know, in this case, on Tuesday afternoon, and actually should even extend into the into the night. And the mitzvah is, of course, the vas have bread, have some meat, and uh, a little bit of of wine. Obviously, taking care that one, if one is going to have to drink, that one's not going to uh, do anything that is either dangerous to oneself or to uh, anybody else, or, or put oneself in any kind of a compromised uh, uh, situation. So this is a little bit of of the Purim, but it's great fun. It's it's a wonderful, wonderful time in the in the community. People on the street. There's music. There's there's a, a sort of levitate everywhere. So let's just take the opportunity as we close today's show to wish each and every one of you, first of all, a beautiful, beautiful good Shabbos, a Shabbos of inspiration, a Shabbos of togetherness. As I say, it is Pasha Zohar. Make sure you get to Shul, and then. A Freilach and Purim, a Purim full of joy, a Purim full of, of, of real, real Simcha, not necessarily stuff that comes from the outside, but make it a day where we really celebrate and appreciate HaKadosh Baruch Hu's intervention and the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu runs our lives and is there to deliver us and save us from any kind of troubles we have. And please God, uh, bring us future in our lives to the ultimate perfection and the ultimate happy place that we want to be. To each and every one of our radio family, a good Shabbos, and when it comes, a Freilich and Purim.